Curse. Welcome to the very first episode of Speak and Destroy, a podcast about all things Metallica. Yes, conversations about Metallica with people who love Metallica, people who've been a part of Metallica in some way, somehow in the orbit, some influenced by them, worked with them. Maybe it'll just be me yammering about Metallica from time to time. Maybe it'll be someone else just yammering about Metallica. You never know. But I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, a longtime Metallica fan with, I suppose, some fan bona fides that will make themselves hopefully self-evident as these episodes progress. But here for this first episode, I want to get right into this very first interview because it's a great one and it's nice and in-depth. So I don't want to waste a whole bunch of time with this intro. I think what Speak and Destroy is setting out to be should be pretty apparent. Our guest today is M. Shadows, frontman for Avenged Sevenfold. He was kind enough to have me to his house in Orange County. We sat down in his private home studio and we talked about childhood, getting into music, very, very early days of, of the band, uh, including you know him meeting the late great Rev back when they were in elementary school. The state of hard rock and metal, the unconventional rollout of their new album, The Stage, an ambitious, adventurous concept record that they just dropped, like Beyonce style, on the unsuspecting public. Of course, this tour that they're now on with Metallica and all things Metallica, as well as a bit of Guns N' Roses, Nirvana, and some other just awesome topics. He's a super great guy. It was an awesome conversation. He's very kind, very giving with his time, and I hope you enjoy it. Uh, we did this interview just right before the Metallica tour that's currently happening, Metallica and Avenged Sevenfold, started. So, without any further ado, Speak and Destroy, Episode 1, M. Shadows. <laughs> Born and raised Orange County. Yep, born and raised in Orange County, Huntington Beach. I think I was, from what I understand, I was born, um, and my parents lived in on like 21st Street, Huntington. But by the time I became cognizant of my situation, I was we moved to uh, El Toro, so like more South Orange County, and then uh, lived there for a while, then moved back to Huntington because my dad wanted to be near the beach. So jumped all over the place from Garden Grove to, you know, Golden West and Slater uh, to Seacliff with my grandma for a while and then back to Huntington over near Ocean View and then eventually ended up here. So I stayed. Yeah. I love, <laughs> I love bouncing all around. Yeah. It's like kind of... Bouncing <laughs> all around like a... Miles. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. Were you uh, parents together as a kid? Yep. Still are together. Amazing. Yep. So, but they had a moment where, you know, like they were, I guess they were mad at each other for a little bit. So me and my mom and my sister moved in with my grandma who lived in Seacliff. And then that lasted for like a couple months and then we were all back together. So it was quick. Yeah, well, it was pretty quick. 
little detour. A little rela- relaxation, a break, yeah, a spa. Totally. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what do you remember as some of your earliest musical memories? Like, was there, your, what did your parents listen to? And was there music around the house? And... There wasn't a lot of music around the house with my mo- on my mom's front, but my dad, big vinyl collector, obviously. Um, I wouldn't call him a vinyl collector because I guess that's all you listened to at that time. But he had a lot <laughs> yeah. of music. And it was, uh, if I was to like kind of swipe through his his collection, it would be the Beatles, everything Beatles. Alice Cooper is one of his favorites. Remember Boston, Rolling Stones, Zeppelin. So it was pretty much all the stuff you'd expect from a you know, guy his age listening to rock music. And I guess my earliest recollection of getting any music from him was, I remember, because he, he's always been turned on by new music. Like he's never, like, he still comes to me now and he's like, here's like, you know, like a new Muse track on Octane or something. He's like, oh, that Muse track's great. Or, oh, I like the new Five Finger song or I like this or that, you know, like, so he, he's just into it, you know, even stuff like that. I'm just like, how do you like that? You know, like, and and he just loves new music. So it's actually a good way to be. But I remember he got me Nevermind and Appetite for Destruction. So when those came out, he, he, he saw Guns N' Roses on Headbangers Ball before they broke. And he's just like, this is the greatest thing ever. And he got Appetite for Destruction. It became his favorite band. Um, and he gave me Appetite. And then I got into Guns N' Roses from that. And that's when we were in El Toro. So that must have been when I was like in first grade or oh, wow. very young. And I remember rocking out with my tape player and just jumping on the bed doing slash solos. That's like my first memory of my own musical taste, even yeah. though it came from my dad. That's early for Guns N' Roses. I think yeah. first grade I was still listening to like Kenny Rogers and Yeah. Well there was <laughs> like it wouldn't have happened without my dad. Yeah. You know, he's that's what he was listening to. Nirvana, I remember Nevermind, you know, the the tape being in the car. And I remember the first C D I ever bought was Pearl Jam ten. So that's when CDs were invented, you know, and yeah. like you could get and a CD. Box. Yeah, I got like a, it actually wasn't. It was like just like some eighteen ninety nine at Target. I was like, oh, Pearl Jam, I want that. You know, I started getting into K-Rock and what they were playing and, you know, and I was in, in, into punk rock and stuff. And I remember it was like I had Pennywise Unknown Road, Pearl Jam 10, and like Crash Test Dummies or something. Yeah. Uh, so it was like that, I was just a 90s kid, you know, like listening yeah. to... I mean, at the time, K-Rock was really playing good music. I mean, they had Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. I remember Bad Religion from hearing Stranger Than Fiction on K-Rock. And so, I mean, there was some good stuff going on. Yeah. Green Day was exploding. Offspring was exploding. So, yeah, that's kind of what formed, you know, it was like a mixture of 90s grunge, metal, and punk. It was just, you know, the California typical kid, what I was listening to. Whatever I think about Guns N' Roses and uh, Headbangers Ball, I think about that story of, Ricky Rackman, when he went to audition to host Headbangers Ball, he brought Axl Rose with him. And it was just kind of like, ah, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it'd be like, yeah. It'd be like if I went to audition right now and I brought you. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, oh, this is my buddy. We're just hanging out. Yeah, yeah totally. Like, hey, this guy has a gig. That's so good. Yeah. So funny. Uh, and I, you know, I grew up in Indiana. So, you know, when Guns N' Roses broke, there was that special. I mean, we had, you know, the Jackson Five and David Lee Roth, David Letterman. Like, we had some cool celebrities from yeah. Indiana. John Mellencamp was like the big hero musically but when Guns N' Roses happened and it's like yeah not only do you have Axel and Izzy from Indiana but their whole story of picking up and moving to California to yep. make it you know it was and like, the video really depicts it you know when it, he gets off the bus yeah. and getting off the bus with a hayseed in his mouth yeah so good you know yeah, yeah. And, and that was you know I moved to Orange County in uh, 2001 and you know I was already in my 20s but 
that same sort of spirit of yeah. like get out of this small town and yeah you know go out there where all the music's happening and you know totally that same yeah that same attitude that's crazy a lot of stuff happens here i remember i was involved in so many different scenes just from i mean because it was readily available to me you know like just orange county is just i mean I, I when i when we go to like europe and stuff and we go to the, all these places i think they must think we're so weird like like we'll roll around with like no effects and vandals t-shirts on just as easily as any sort of european metal band or yeah. like and that's like as much part of our roots as you know anything i mean i remember not only did I want to go to Ozfest, but I wanted to go just equally wanted to go to Warp Tour when Guttermouth was playing with Pennywise and you know Strung Out and Good Riddance and all those bands. Like that's like equally as important if you came from this scene. And then and then I got into hardcore and hardcore was equally as important as well. I mean I know that all the hardcore bands playing on the East Coast, their big show is going to be at Chain Reaction or Showcase, you know, and like it was like a scene as well. It was a a, a big scene as well. So there's just so much stuff. Like living in California gives you a a one-up, I think, on just having your your eyes open to all sorts of music, and also the scene is so uh, vibrant here that you can actually get things started. Yeah, you know, I don't think Avenged Sevenfold would have had nearly the chance if we didn't have a place like Orange County that was just like a, a breeding ground for you know music and kids going to shows and labels looking at the bands because the kids are going to shows. And people don't realize if you're playing in front of nobody, the labels don't care. But if you're playing in front of you know 300 people. All the labels care, you know, so that's just a product of being from Orange County. Yeah, and even just being able to find other musicians to do things. Totally, I yeah. Mean, you know, I'm working on this project with, with Andy from Blackville. We've been talking a lot about him growing up in small town Ohio and trying to find people that liked the music he liked and to yeah. do bands with and putting ads in the weekly paper and no one's answering them because you couldn't even meet someone who liked what you liked. Yeah. And I, at one point, uh, the original incarnation of his band you know, he was like 15 and he had a 45 year old drummer. It was like his dad's Ooh. friend because like they just couldn't, like, yeah, yeah. couldn't find a drummer, you know. And then when, when, the, when the pickings are that thin, it's then you got to think, okay, you got to not only find someone that plays good, but more importantly, that can write songs. Yeah. And finding all that is tough, especially yeah. if if you can't even get a callback, you know, yeah. on like, oh, no one wants to play this kind of music. And then if somewhere in there you also want to include looks cool on stage, yeah. cool stage presence, <laughs> totally. someone I want to hang out with at a Taco Bell at three in the morning in yep. Nevada, you know. For years and years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So. It's quite a list that you're not quite prepared to, no. to fill out when you're, when you're young. Yeah. Um, I, you mentioned Nirvana, Nevermind. I also think about, and this is kind of an interesting convergence of what became Avenged Sevenfold, is there was that tour that was Metallica and Guns N' Roses co-headlining and they had originally, Axel really wanted Nirvana to be the opener on that, and uh, Nirvana was kind of too cool for school yeah. to do a tour like that, and ended up being Faith No More. But I feel like there's something about that era when it was like Use Your Illusion Records, Black Album, Nevermind, when all that stuff was hitting. You can almost you can almost pinpoint like, oh, take a whole bunch of that, and then like the spirit of Orange County punk, yeah. and then some hardcore ethics and attitude, and you get a bench seven yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's we're definitely products of that. And, you know, there's, as a band, we like to experiment a lot, but we don't really like to experiment outside of what we feel is cool. And it always goes back to the 90s and it goes back to, you know, active rock now, I call it like EDM rock. But like, it's like stuff that doesn't, like does not compute with our brains. You know, yeah, it's like just yeah. no interest because we, we come from, we come from a time where our, our tastes were, you know, morphed at a time when 
We care about good songwriting, good vocalists, just experimentation. Being able to get in a room together and totally, play a song. and just play anything at any time. Like you can yeah. just walk in and you don't need anything. You just play it because everyone can play. And Faith No More is a good example of that too. You know, like a great example of just experimenting and being outside of the box. And so, to me, that's that's the golden era of uh, rock music. I and mean, that was like kind of its last hurrah in my eyes. We've kind of slipped in and been lucky enough to have a career after that, but. I mean, just look at... We can count on one hand the number of rock bands yeah, and, like Ace and the Next that have been able yeah, to... Yeah, we, we were the generation just after the last great generation, which was Rage, System of a Down, Tool. And then there's like Us and Slipknot after that. Maybe Five Fingers coming up, doing their thing. But it's like... It's tough because a lot of people don't listen to that type of music anymore. And, yeah. and it's not popular anymore. And it's not popular for a reason. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not popular because... The, the quality is just not there and it is what it is but I always like to look back to that generation and, and think about how lucky the fans were to have Pearl Jam Alice in Chains Soundgarden Faith No More Guns N' Roses Metallica the list goes on and on and on of great records yeah. great songwriting and now it's uh, kind of on the back burner the songwriting thing's on the back burner <laughs> and one thing that's great about all those bands that you just named too is, is while we can categorize them together as rock yeah and some of them even from the same scene you know like Seattle or whatever they all had unique identities. So different. You know, even when you yeah. know, even even a band like Stone Temple Pilots when they were coming up and it was like, oh, this is very derivative of Pearl Jam. They found their footing. It was different. Pretty quickly, yeah. and they made their own. You know, if you put like Tiny Music next to like Vitology, like yeah. those are completely different bands. Totally. You know. Totally. And I, I, I feel like that's something that we're losing a little bit now. Is the totally. Idea that you have your own, and 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 it's it, sometimes it's a bit of a misnomer because. You know, every band wants to tell you, well, I don't think we fit in any category or sound like anyone. I think the truth is more that great bands are kind of a math equation that, you know, Metallica is like Motorhead plus Diamond Head, yeah. a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then their own unique thing from their background and where they're from, and then it equals Metallica. And I totally. feel like every great band is something like that. Totally. I mean, those guys, that's, yeah, you can, you can, if you take apart their songs, you can see where their influences are, you know, even... The Ennio Morcone stuff, like the good yeah. and bad. I mean, all that stuff is just yeah. part of Metallica. And when they do something that's, you know, ballad driven or Western driven, it's always derivative of Ennio Morcone. That's like what they yeah. like. You can just tell it's where they want to go. And all those bands, they all have their influences. And it's awesome when it's great. It's great influences make great bands and they write great songs. And, you know, and then hopefully it passes on to other generations. But, you know, yeah, the whole rock thing right now is just, a, it's a little tough because, uh, not only is the, the listenership down, it's just everyone's just trying to be on the radio and the radio doesn't have the presence anymore because the songs aren't interesting enough for people to want to invest themselves in, in a bunch of bands that, that try to write three-minute songs for, for the radio. That doesn't yeah. get out to anyone. And there's so many other tools of discovery now, too, yeah. that I don't know that people are, are rushing to the radio to see what's current and what's happening no. as much as they're yeah. going all sorts of other places. It's, a, it's an interesting time. Yeah, and it's. An, I mean, to to have weathered the storm as much as you guys have even is uh, is impressive. It's, it's well, there's some good. There's difficult. some. There's definitely some champions that are keeping it going. I think Danny Wimmer has done a great job of. He's figured out a formula. Yeah, you, know, you get a lot of these bands together, and you can put on these big festivals and give people a great weekend. Mm -hmm. But you know, in terms of rock coming to the forefront and being so able to learn how to play guitar or want to go do something with it, it's just. I mean, I can probably walk over to Huntington High School right now. 
and you could probably find very few kids that even know how to play an instrument or care to play an instrument yeah. or even know a current rock band, you know, and I mean, you see kids over there, they'll be walking home from school and they're, the shirts they're wearing is, it's a vintage Led Zeppelin shirt, you know, yeah. that they think is yeah. cool. So it's a different time, man. When I went to school there, it was all hardcore kids. There were straight edge kids. There were skinheads. They were listening to punk rock. They were listening to rock, hardcore, and that's what it was, you know. It was like a much different thing than it is now. Yeah. So I want to go backwards a little bit again. Um, so you started in terms of performing. Piano was first for you, is that right? Yeah. Um, what was the inspiration there? There was none. My mom made me do it. Uh, and I. And you hated it then, but you're happy about it now? I hated it so much. And she always told me I would thank her later, and I was like adamant that I would never thank her later. Like, I hate piano, no way. But once we started the band, it obviously was a, a useful tool because, you know, I can, you know, figure my, my way around notes and scales and yeah. stuff. But I wouldn't say I'm like an accomplished pianist a lot of music is just natural stuff right it's like you can either naturally hear something and you can write it and i can use my eyes to figure out what i'm doing and then and be able to make compositions but piano definitely helped me give a visual to what i was creating mm -hmm. um so it was really really helpful actually so i did it for four years i was probably better then than i am now at it because i don't practice it but yeah i kind of like to be able to just feel things out and create on that level instead of being too technical about it. A lot of things I bring to Brian, he's like, that shouldn't work, but it does, you know? And <laughs> yeah. I just don't yeah. want to be there. You know, I don't yeah. want to be thinking about that sort of stuff. That's kind of like that idea even, uh, you know, some sometimes in the studio where it's like, okay, that wasn't perfect, but it's amazing. It's real. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah. yeah. So that's, and that's a, you know, that's a, if you have a, a good enough players, that's how it should always be. You should just go in there and, and like, I remember we just, recorded a bunch of stuff that will be released later in the year just like an addition to the stage which we've told the kids about but there's not much information on it but you know we were doing a bunch of vocal takes versus me and brian on one microphone and some of the stuff was like okay like one is more in tune but this just sounds better this just yeah. feels better yeah. and we always went with what feels better yeah. You know, and you always get the, the kid that's like, oh, it's out of tune. You're like, yeah. no, like listen to Freddie Mercury's sold at vocals or listen to, you know, Mick Jagger and, and Keith. I mean, there's there's some shit that's out, but it's what makes it real and cool. Yeah. And I think a lot of rock has lost that. You know, everything's going to be perfect now. And, and everything. I mean, drums especially. Because oh everything, everything's... You might as well not even playing a drum. Literally. You might as well not even playing. And I, th and I think that there are even some drummers in generations of bands that are coming up that don't realize that they actually didn't even play drums on their own record. No clue. Now they just took the samples and... Yeah, you left and they... They quantized they it all. It. Yeah. 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 And it's like, we'll take this, uh, you know, here's Gene Hoagland's snare and here's the same Snape sound and, and you're just assembling something like chemistry set or something. I know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and there's something to be said. I, I, you know, I always draw the comparison between that and computer-generated effects in films where... I'm, you know, I love practical effects and all of that. I'm not anti-CGI. Yeah. It's just, when it's used to enhance, uh, you know, I always feel like the best CGI, kind of like the best editing is when you don't notice it. Yeah, no, totally. And, and versus when you watch a movie that's like, I just feel like I'm playing a video game. Yeah. Oh, it's just so fake, yeah. Yeah, there's no stakes and there's no weight to anything. And yeah. I feel like music's the same way. It's like, hey, you know, auto-tune and all that stuff's great to polish and enhance yeah. what you're doing but when everything is so gritted out and just yeah. fake yeah, it loses the soul and, and you know being on the inside we see that stuff and 
you know, I feel for the listener because a listener might not necessarily know why something doesn't feel right. And, and then they're also getting trained for that. You know, we've seen that on our last record, you know, we, we mastered it with a huge dynamic range. All these kids complaining that's not loud enough. Right. And it's like, it's like, well, if you go compare it to a Boston record or Appetite for Destruction, it's the same volume. But when you're comparing it to something that's getting blown out, it's completely maxed against the, the wall. The loudness wars. And everything yeah. is like crackling on their records. And you're going to complain about our record, which has like a dynamic range of like 14, which is like unheard of. But we get shit on because it's not up to standards of what they want to just get pounded with this sound that gives you a headache. Yeah. All you have to do is turn and it off. And it's losing so much. Oh, yeah. It loses everything. All the dynamics, like the snare, the reverbs are gone. Like the, everything gets, you know, it's, if you watch what it does to a wave file, it just, it kills everything. And yeah. there's no, there's no like jump in volume for dynamics. There's no low soft. There's, but, but at the end of the day, we lose because they're putting on shuffle against a bunch of things that are getting brick walled. Right. And then they go, oh, well, <laughs> they, have, they have to turn up their Yeah, so they go, oh, your car. mix sucks. It's like, yeah. no, the mix doesn't suck. It's, Andy Wallace mixed the fucking record. It doesn't <laughs> suck. Bob Ludwig mastered it. It does not suck. Like, you're just hearing a difference in volume. Yeah. And they and and so when kids are discussing that over the actual stuff on the record, you lose. Like we lose over that. We'd have to ruin our music to compete with that. And that's what's frustrating about everywhere that this everything's at right now, where you get, you know, a bunch of people that like a soapbox where one kid can say something about the volume and they all jump on it and then yeah. they just kind of shut off everything else. Such a Metallica nerd that I'm sort of quoting a Metallica lyric, but the empty can rattles the most, you know, and I like to think that some of these loud voices of dissent like that, some of the advice I would always give people in bands, uh, you know, when they would look at a news article on lambgoat.com, like, you know, Throwdown announces a tour and there's a post about it on Lambgoat and there's 45 kids that are just hate, 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 and just trash talking Throwdown. I would always tell the band, yeah, but look, that article has, you know, 15,000, 20,000 views. Yeah. That means that out of those 20,000 people, only 45 of them felt yeah. the need to log in and talk smack. Everybody else was like, oh, Throwdown's going on tour. Let me look at the tour dates. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then they went about their day. Yeah. So, but it's very easy to get sucked into those 45 people that are that are loudmouths. And I think obviously you can extrapolate that on a larger scale to not only band the size of Avenged Sevenfold, but pop culture in general, you know, yeah. movies and TV and all this stuff that we consume and experience. It There's is an interesting... People with terrible, terrible opinions who are able to voice them. But I think there's a democratization that happens where you still get tastemakers, you still get people that you'll pay attention to because their voices kind of rise above the noise. And I like to think doing something like the choices that you guys have made with the mastering on the stage, it will, somewhere there's a kid somewhat, you know, that's yeah. tuning into that and understands the reasons why it's that way. I agree. And respects it and is psyched on it and that, that might send them down a path. Totally. And I, and, and at the end of the day, like, a good friend told me, and he was, and he's like our old A&R guy, he said, as an artist, all you can do is tell the truth. And all we do is, that sounds better to us, we're not going to fucking give into the trend of, if you don't like the record because it's not loud, fine. <laughs> yeah. But as an artist, you just have to do what you feel is right, and that's what we're going to continue to do. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the thing about the internet, though, is, you know, when it first came out, it was like shockingly, you take it personal when, when it first came out. Yeah. You know, we, we, we lived through the internet being yeah. invented and, and coming into our cognizance, you know, like now we've, we've lived with it, with it so long. It's like 
almost hard to take anything seriously on there. And, you know, it's like coming full circle to where yeah. anything you read, it's like you kind of you don't even roll your eyes at it anymore. It's just like, like yeah. it's the internet. Yeah. Like, so it's kind of lost. It's, into white noise. it's lost its bite. You know, yeah. like it, it, when true. everything's like, when everyone knows that there's gonna be negative comments and everyone knows it's gonna be the same shit and it's this and that, it's just it, it, it lost all of its potency to me, anyways. And I think it will to society as well because enough people will have been involved in things that have been commented on and they'll realize how ridiculous it is. Yeah. All you have to do is open a restaurant and then read your first twenty Yelp reviews and realize exactly. how ridiculous it is. You know. Yeah. Um, or I, you know, Dave Peters and I talk about this all the time about Yelp that most people with a Yelp account. Only have one because they went on to complain about something. Yeah. You know, like and this it, restaurant, what this restaurant, what can I do? Oh, there's a website for that. And then they might have puffed out their profile by writing a couple positive reviews, but the original inspiration to get on there was to destroy totally. something. Totally. And then all it does is take a few years of that, and then everyone realizes, oh, I can't trust Yelp anymore. Yeah. Because all it is is these people. Yeah. You know, or, or go look at like, reviews of like direct tv or something no one goes on there to leave a good one yeah all the cable companies which they might deserve this but they all have like one star or half a star yeah. it's like society just loves to it's like when kids will you know they'll tell a merch company that their t-shirt came two days two days late and they'll be like i'm gonna report you to the better business bureau and it's like yeah cool no one's checking that before they go somewhere yeah and if they are they're finding like four or five negative because no one contacted the better business bureau to be like I ordered that T-shirt and it came right away. And it was awesome. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's taking their time. To well, do I don't that. even think I, I don't even like posting about merch anymore because if you do, the first thing is like, I ordered this and it didn't come, or my shirt's too small, and then it gets like all the likes. It's like, so all of you guys didn't get <laughs> yeah. your like. I, I guess bravado and live nation should just be going out of business because yeah. obviously everyone's fucked. You know, yeah. like, to me, it's completely lost its bite for the last few years. It's just, eh, you yeah, know, I, it's it's hard to even take it seriously well, and you're, you're unique amongst your contemporaries and that you don't do social media you're not like a personally i don't twitter yeah. instagram guy no personally yeah no it doesn't interest me i already don't like being on my phone you know i've put some rules in place for myself because i as much as i'm not into that stuff i still see find myself being on looking at espn all day or cnn all day and like reading shit that doesn't matter like you're updating it every hour like as if something crazy's happened like yeah. a, a bomb just went off somewhere and so your cnn everything isn't breaking news yeah yeah exactly yeah. right and so like i I've, I've got to the point where i won't bring it out during dinners always keep it in my pocket never for certain things and never in bed you know yeah i always try to put these Those rules are great rules by the way yeah, I, and, could, I could learn from you <laughs> but it, because it makes me miserable sometimes like i feel like i feel like i get sick being on it and so yeah for me I feel like, what am I really going to post on Instagram? Like, am I going to go post about what I really want to post about, which would be like my day at the golf course? No one's going to give a shit. <laughs> they want to fucking see band shit. Yeah. And I don't want to do band shit. I just, yeah. I have no interest to put myself out there because I just don't, I just don't have an interest in anyone commenting on my life. Yeah. I just don't, and I don't care to show anyone my life. Yeah. You know, I like being private. I like hanging with my kids and just chilling. And I was going to say, one of the, one of the things I most respect about Avenged is through whatever means you've been able to protect a certain mystique about yourselves that a lot of bands lose in the in the constant race to be constantly engaged and showing everybody what you had for breakfast this morning. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I think has kept Avenged kind of more of a, you've maintained more of an association with that generation of bands before you. Yeah. That weren't as accessible. I mean, sure, you could watch a Metallica or a Pantera home video and see them 
you know, in their everyday lives, and it was very transparent in that sense. But they also always still maintained a life for themselves that was protected and was out yeah. of public view. Well, even if you like look at like James's interview with Joe Rogan, he was yeah. very personal on that. Yeah. But at the same time, you're never going to see... I start raising bees. Right? Like <laughs> I'm like, yeah. But the thing is, you're never going to see James out there taking pictures of himself right. out in Vail hunting or something. It's, yeah. it's just, he's still, he can give people a little bit of it, but it's he's an iconic character that, you know, he doesn't let in too much. And Metallica has become very accessible on social media, but it's all about the band. They're doing band shit. Right. It's not like personal bullshit. And... Yeah, I just, I mean, it's kind of a losing battle, though, because kids get resentful that you don't do it. Like, they think you yeah. hate them because of it. We have a lot of, we've had a lot of pushback in terms of the industry that think we're assholes because we don't do all the things that they want us to do in terms of, well, this band did this or this band, you know, this band went paintballing with all the fans for three hours before the gig. So we don't do that. It's not that we don't want to go paintballing. It's that we care about the gig so much that we're fucking focused on one thing. Yeah. The music, which has become a complete afterthought for most people. It's all about how much can you serve people to, you know, yeah. to give you Facebook well, you likes. you used to go on tour to support the record. Now you make records to have a reason to tour. Totally. Yeah. And uh, we, we care about the show so much. We care about all the things I guess you shouldn't care about, <laughs> which is playing really well on stage and like putting on a really good live show. And everything else to us is like, we'll do it if we have time. It's become very, very strange. There's a, there's a lot of entitlement that plays into that. Oh, totally. Just, you know, I, I, nothing makes my blood boil quite like when you hear people say, you know, I've like the whole paparazzi culture. And you hear people say, well, this is what a public figure signs up for. Have their picture taken. Yeah. Have questions about their personal life and so on. And my thought is always, no, they sign up to do that. Uh, when they're doing the press junket to promote the movie, when yeah. they're doing a photo shoot, when they're talking to a magazine, yeah, no one signed up to be interrogated when they're getting off a flight at LAX in their sweatpants. I know, yeah, and, and being chased by some moron who who has no there's no filter for this person even yeah that's on the other side of the lens. They're just trying to make money off them, right? And, and like why why can't and to why can't the him. person that's getting off the airplane have an attitude towards the guy that's just trying to make money off him? Yeah. Like it's, a, it's a bottom feeder. Yeah. It's like, we're going to try to get you pissed off so yeah. that we can sell this. The worst it's, people blocking your car. Yeah. And but then if you don't treat them with respect, then everyone's like, oh, look at this asshole. Yeah. And so, people, well, that's what you signed up for. And it's like, no, it isn't. Yeah, no. no Especially bands. Bands definitely didn't sign up for that because we signed up to make, we didn't sign up for anything. We, we make music. We put out records. We put out whatever we want. And if people happen to like it, they like it. And trust me, I love our fans and I love hanging out with the fans, but I don't need a bunch of people in the industry telling us all the shit we need to do that that's more important than the music or that's more important than the live show yeah. or this or that. I don't care what the analytics say. We make music. We make songs that we like and we put them out there. That's the yeah. bottom line. And if we go out on tour, we we want to have a good time and, and play the, the shows. But man, they people do get really entitled to shit that, that it just doesn't matter. It's all yeah. about the music. but And things I never would have felt entitled to as a kid. Oh, that kind of blows my mind, Different too. Different or, society, man. Yeah, things that I couldn't imagine asking of James Hetfield or Dave Mustaine or something yeah. when I was oh, I know. Know, in high school. I know. It's it's, it's bizarre, man. Um, when did you first encounter Metallica? What was your first exposure to them? Probably the Rev. Um, we had this, like, 
we started a band like when we were little kids and his whole room, like if you went into his room, it'd be like every hit parader magazine ripped off and put on the walls, you know, like all the posters. And he had this wall of tapes that was probably as big as this whole wall. You know, he probably had 3000 tapes and, you know, copies of tapes or Testament Queens or like Dream Theater, everything, you know, King Diamond, everything. And I remember going in his room and he'd been doing drum lessons and he was in this band called Looney Booms, which was... About how old were you guys at this point? <sighs> this is elementary school, middle school? Fifth grade. Wow. Fifth, sixth grade. Yeah, yeah. And I remember him playing, this had to be Black Album era. Um, so we were like, that, that had come out like 94, right? So we we're like... 90, uh, 90 or 91, actually. Uh, 91. Yeah. So we were, we must have been 11 years old, 10 and he was just playing all the all that shit and then i remember divine intervention had come out and he was playing all the slayer stuff all the paul bostaff stuff and um so yeah, Meta- that was my intro that was the first record without lombardo and i remember thinking at the, when it came out they're gonna have to do something to make some kind of statement right out of the gate and sure enough the first thing on that yeah. album is like yeah. massive drum intro yeah it was like yeah you needed to do that so yeah I and mean, that was the shit he was playing and that's how I was introduced to Metallica. He had uh, Binge and Purge, you know, live shit in yeah. Mexico. He had all yeah. the big box set. So, like, that's how we got into Metallica. That's how I got into Metallica. But he had known about it for a lot longer than I did. You know, he's kind of the guy that got me into... Like, I was a casual listener that I loved. The few bands I knew of from my dad, like KLOS, whatever they were playing, or KNAC. But he was the one that, like, got me into the deep shit. That was, like, at the time, that was, it was just, like, all the tapes. It was, like, the, the, the bands that weren't necessarily played all over the radio. Yeah. And and even though Metallica was the biggest band, he was the one that kind of cemented that for me. Biggest record of the SoundScan era. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Since they started counting records via SoundScan. Pretty awesome. <laughs> and still doing four or 5,000 copies a week. Yeah, it's crazy. Which I, I blows my mind whenever I think about, okay, there, somewhere in North America there were 5,000 people this week that were like, I need to get that. Metallica well, it's crazy because I think this week... I don't know. I don't have the numbers, but I saw on um, on iTunes, anyways, that the Black Album's outselling Hardwired this week or whatever. It's like, I mean, <laughs> right. they're doing that right. promotion for if you buy the ticket, you get yeah. the CD, so it's probably gonna counter. Which you have to opt into, which a lot of people don't yeah. don't quite understand. Is it's not, yeah, uh, nuanced inside baseball stuff, but yeah, you can't do the like here's a free record. And it no, you have to, you have to, you have, you have to actually, yeah, you have to send yes in to get it. it. Yeah, yeah. So Prince did that years ago and. Nielsen went, no, 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 nobody's doing that again. Well, they had a, uh, they had a uh, interesting, they had a good turnout on that because a lot of times the turnout's only like 17% or something. It's like 20%. And because every... Yeah, hardwired uh, shot right back Oh, yeah. That mean, yeah, there was, I mean, there's a lot of tickets. There's like a million tickets sold on that tour. Yeah. So that's good. It's awesome. It's smart. Yeah. You know, but it, but it is crazy to see that the Black Album's always, you know, there's a bunch of bands that have put out new singles this week, like... Uh, all that remains and Stone Sour and all that, but just see Enter Sandman way up there at the top still. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty. I mean, it's generations and generations of people. It's like the, it's like the milestone record, dude. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah, it's, and it's also one where, you know, I've worked with the band Demon Hunter for the last eleven years, and we put out a record a few weeks ago, and it was the same week that Mastodon put out a record, so it was like we were number two rock, number two hard rock runner, you know. But 
when you see the black album is creeping in there near you, you're like, well, that's okay. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's know? like yeah, that, that it's, doesn't bother you. Doesn't bother you at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of uh, you know as you started to go backwards into the Metallica catalog and, and things like that? What are some of the connections you remember making where you were like, this is this speaks to me in some way? Or... Going backwards, I think stuff on. Uh, you know, Fade to Black always spoke to me. I, all their acoustic stuff spoke to me because they're like, the intro to Fade to Black is like one of the greatest, I don't even know how they came up with that. It's like two different keys. It's got the greatest like little run up into that. Like it feels dark into light. Yeah. And it's just like, I've always thought about like, I mean, I have yeah, so much respect like for them. It breaks through. Yeah. Part. Like all of a sudden it's just like, yeah. like, and, and like when you can convey stuff like that, it's almost like classical music. It's like on the level of like, you know, it's on the level of like the Mozarts and the, and the great compositions that can like make you feel something very, with just a few notes. And that's really hard to, to do. And unless you've picked up an instrument and you've tried to do that, you just, there's so much respect, like, because it makes you feel something so deep and, I think they always do that with their like with their when they go clean and they go melodic. It's yeah. brilliant, and so to me that's always spoke to me because that's you know that's when I look that's what I look for in great great bands. So going back, I mean, just the amount of power and energy. Nothing ever feels cheesy. It's mm-hmm. always like very serious and very blues driven. So I mean, and always really cinematic too, without yep. having to be super complicated. Totally, you can close your eyes to a lot of that stuff. Yeah, all that shit is so. It's, just, it's done really well, man. It's simple yeah. but very, very effective. You know, I remember maybe 2007 when Revolver did the Rebel Meets Rebel, where you interviewed Hetfield. Mm-hmm. But what was your first kind of this event? Was getting momentum, first kind of nod from Metallica, or any any kind of. Like connecting the recognition, dots. yeah. Yeah. When, when um, the first thing like that. Once, once Backcountry and City of Evil was out, mm-hmm. we uh, were doing a show. This is the tail end of the, you guys hit the tail end of the TRL era. Yeah. Like, you and Fallout, <clears throat> I feel like, are the last two rock bands that. Yep. Where that helped before it was over. Yeah, and it was so weird because, like, we won Artist of the Year in, what was it, two thousand something, and, but after that, it was like there was no more rock. Right. It was like weird to go yeah. from such a. Highly successful record on MTV to we have no interest in playing rock anymore. Yeah. So maybe we put him out of business. <laughs> I, was, I was working at MTV in the news department at the time as a reporter. And right as, especially uh, with Fall Out Boy, but, but also Avenged, you know, it was interesting because a lot of coworkers were like, How, what's this connection you have with these bands? You know, like, yeah. um, especially like, I knew the Fall Out Boy guys and stuff. And it's like, if you aren't from the hardcore scene, yeah. you can't really explain you know yeah no it's like what yeah so it was interesting to see like kind of you know a lot of people from our and even to some extent the good charlotte guys as much as they get um maligned as being pop punk well even like those, those guys knew you know they knew about madball and rancid and oh they know stuff. everything yeah yeah and, they, just make... they were they were part of you could just feel that sense of community or the ataris like those guys were, and like my chem like yeah. there's a bunch of us that came up from that at this at the time you just don't realize you're part of something so special yeah. You know, like that, that Warped Tour that one year was like us, Mike Hem, Offspring, Transplants, All American Rejects were blowing up. They were on it. And it was just like, that's a rad year. And, you know, yeah. like Fall Out Boy was on it. Yeah. I mean, that's a big year. And Kevin Lyman was, 
you know, probably loving it. You know, like <laughs> right. we yeah. had already done our deals way back the summer before, <laughs> getting paid a little bit of money to go out there and have some big shows. You know, yeah. like everyone was blasting on MTV, and yeah. he was just probably fucking like loving it. Two thousand five, I think, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's up? We're Ben Sevenfold. We're at TRL today, MTV Studios, playing Backcountry Live on TRL, and then we're gonna close out the show with Beast and the Harlot. MTV. We're going to MTV. It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's our first time playing. We're excited about it. We've never played on TV. Yeah, except for the times that we've been filmed for like warp tours and stuff like that. TRL's been great to us. It's kind of a new thing that they're doing, playing some real metal music. It's totally a different world than what we're used to, but you know, when we started out there, it was definitely, we never had it set forth any rules or boundaries. It was a decision-making process, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you guys are playing TRL. Like, they asked us, we thought about it for a while, because we know for a metal band, it's a dangerous thing sometimes to do things like this. You know, kids were voting us to the top of the countdown, they obviously wanted to see us. We wanted to show the world that we can play our instruments and do our thing, so we decided to do it. Get that camera off me! But it was crazy. But our first connection with Metallica was, you know, we that had happened, and we and we heard they were coming to our show in San Francisco. And uh, I was warming up on the bus, and James Hetfield walked on our bus with an Avenged Sevenfold hoodie on. What? And he's like, he's like, hey, what's up, man? And I was like, hey, what's up? He's like, oh, you're warming up. I was like, yeah. And he's like, cool. Like, I'm James. I was like, I don't know. And so we, we, and he's like, we came to me and Lars came to see you guys play tonight. So we're like, fuck, that's crazy. So. You know, no pressure. Yeah, we're like trying really hard, you know. And uh, <clears throat> and then after the show, Lars, James had left, and then Lars came in, you know, with a drink, and we just talked to him for like two hours, and he's just chilling, just you know, Lars talking. Yeah. He's great. Had his, had his had his toothpick in his mouth, you know, like this is Lars. <laughs> it's Lars. Yeah. yeah. And so it was. Uh, that was our first experience with them, and it was it was really cool. You yeah. Know, they they always do it. They still do it. I mean, you could see they do it with. Gojira, and they do it mm -hmm. with. Uh, that was that, that band in Europe that James loves. They were opening for Europe. No, it's well, they did it with Ghost yeah. as well, but that starts with a KV. Oh, uh, <clears throat> I don't know yeah. how to pronounce it. I'll come back in and post. Yeah. And we're gonna get we're gonna get ripped by the the, yeah, exactly. the true metalheads right now. <laughs> come, come you fucking know those guys. Yeah, <laughs> we actually played with them in uh, Norway, and they're actually really good. That band. Um, yeah. They're on uh, Roadrunner, I think. Okay. Are they? Yeah. We played with them four years ago. We actually played with Gojira on the Hill of the King tour in Norway. And they opened, and we didn't, we'd never heard of them at the time. And, you know, they're like six records deep. Yeah. Just clueless. No, um, they're, but, I mean, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, and Metallica is always, you know, whether it was The Sword, whether it was Lamb of God, and I mean, this is more recently, but, but certainly over the years. They've always had their finger on the pulse of, yeah. of what's happening. Lars keeps up on it. Yeah, he does. Yep. And and on everything, and it's you know, I mean, metal and rock and punk and all of that are, are huge defining things in my life. But one of my favorite bands of all time is Oasis. Love and it Oasis. was like when Lars was like this Oasis super fan during the you know it was almost like I, I'm growing up with Metallica or something you know yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah Lars loves Oasis just like me. Well, he loves a lot of that stuff you know Arctic yeah. Monkeys. He loves a lot of that stuff. It's a lot of, uh, I mean, it's they make good music, yeah. He, yeah. He just doesn't, yeah. Give, he doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, it was yeah. great because I, uh, I mean, it's back in like 2002, but I got, I had an opportunity to do like a 45 minute sit down with Noel Gallagher. Oh, that's which cool. Was like a dream come true. 
and to sit and talk about Metallica with Noel Gallagher, which yeah. is like this amazing life moment. That's you know? funny, yeah. Um, That's really funny. And he's, he's telling me stories about Lars. And uh, uh, there was a photo from a festival just a couple of years ago that I saw that was making the rounds on the internet that was Noel Gallagher, Lars, and Bradley Cooper hanging out somewhere. <laughs> You're just like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, didn't Lars get the idea for the Lady Gaga thing yeah. from Bradley Cooper's house or something? Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, a few years ago, um, Metallica did like this kind of secret show during Comic-Con where they played like an 1100 cap yeah. room in San Diego. It was amazing. And, um, you know, I'm standing in the balcony, you look over and you're like, there's Rob Halford over here. And, uh, you know, of course, like Brian Posehn and uh, the dude that plays Daryl from The Walking Dead and all these people were there. Yeah. And you see Bradley Cooper. And my first thought was, and, you know, I've, I've met, I've interviewed him before and he's very nice. But your first thought when you see somebody like that in Metallica games, you're like, all right, man, you're just like cool actor guy who's making the scene at the rock show. Dude, the band starts, and I look over, and that guy is singing every word. He's playing air guitar. He's like a legit Metallica He's the pit boss. You know? He's in the pit. <laughs> Almost. You know? Yeah, yeah. People are coming over trying to take pictures with him and stuff, and he's kind of like, ah, you know, yeah. I'm playing air guitar I'm right now. The show, yeah. I'm ripping this air guitar solo. And so, yeah, I saw him again. Um, Metallica did that show uh, at the Fonda just a, oh, not, not that long ago. Before yeah. the Grammys. Yeah, I went to that, yeah. Oh, you were there too? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was there and um, Lady Gaga was there with Bradley Cooper because they're doing a movie together. They're doing like a remake of A Star is Born or something. Oh, I gotcha. And apparently they hung out, Lars hung out with them that night and that was where that whole oh. idea came from. So nice. This is, I'm a super nerd about this band. Yeah, so. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As, as, as we're here to talk mostly about that. So when did that first time hanging out with Lars, what were some of the... the because I would just imagine that he has a lot of advice for younger bands on the rise. Was it? He doesn't really throw advice at you, which is no. kind of nice. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, everyone's got to kind of find their own path. And it's, it's uh, every, the only thing we talk about sometimes, you know, I talked to him the other day and we're just talking about how it's just, you know, there are no rules right now. It's just such a different thing, you know, like, they're doing everything they can to get this record out to people, whether it's yeah. making videos for every song. They did so you much, but they did a press campaign like I've never seen them do. Yeah, it's crazy. And then, you know, and then like this ticket thing where you get, I mean, they're adapting to what is being given to them, you know, which is a, yeah. a, t a tough uh, time to put they a CD always, out. They always have though, man. Like they've always, uh, they've always been a couple, I mean, when they renegotiated with Electra in the 90s, a deal that gave them all of their masters back in yeah. like 2014 or something. Yeah. And I always just imagine these record executives in the 90s going like, yeah, 2014, we'll be in flying cars. Like, well, yeah. yeah. Sure, you can have your albums then. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, they were so savvy. Yeah. And it would have been even more savvy if there wasn't uh, illegal downloading. Yes. And like that deal could have been worth double. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if people had to actually, oh, guitars well, on. Yeah. Rocking out during the interview, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just thought I'd hit a power chord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like... <laughs> um, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Masters is what you want, man. But, you yeah. know, but... Well, that's to the their... other thing, though, too. I mean, the whole Napster thing, we could do a whole podcast about that, and I will at some point. To their credit, though, I mean, streaming is starting to be a big revenue source for the labels, and they still haven't come around to giving the artists what they deserve. I mean, they're like not... Yeah. They're, they're not... They're like... People, like, don't, people don't realize that when they're like, there's no money in streaming. There's like, no, there's a ton of it for labels. For labels. Labels are killing it. And, and it's like a non-starter when you do negotiations with a label right now. They don't even want to talk about it. Yeah. And Metallica doesn't have to worry about that. They got, yeah. they got the masters. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, and I think something that history has proven, you know, Metallica, you know, when the Napster thing was happening, everyone was going, 
don't they have enough money? You know, and it's like, yeah. it was always about control for them. Yeah. People don't realize the whole impetus for that is when they were doing I Disappear for the Mission Impossible soundtrack, an unfinished demo of the song leaked to radio. Yeah. And that was the whole thing that made them perk up and go like, well, how did that even happen? Yeah. Oh, there's this the internet thing. And then Napster's uh, Don't Blame Us defense was, well, I mean, we could take this stuff down, but we wouldn't even, we don't even know, we can't even tell you who all is putting it up. Yeah. And that was when Lars said, okay, well, here's a list of everyone who's putting it up. Yeah. And the PR thing kind of became like, oh, yeah. Lars gave, a, gave out a list of their fans. Yeah. But, man, I tell you, if, if you've ever got an hour to kill on YouTube, there's a Charlie Rose episode from the height of the whole Napster debate where it's Charlie Rose, Chuck D, and Lars, and they're talking about the internet and whatever. All respect to Chuck D, of course. Everything Lars says in that interview came true. Like, yeah. he, talk, like he, started, he talks about movies, books, video games, all, you know, all, all these things that came down the road. Most of what you're saying deals with the record company being these money-hungry, you know, greedy, blah, blah, blah. Remember one thing. I can guarantee you that there's nobody at, at Napster that is doing this as a charitable event for all of mankind, okay? There are investors behind Napster, and there are people that are sitting counting the days till Napster has an IPO offering, and they all make millions of dollars in return for their work. But there's always been the, the shadow of technology right, lurking but, over entertainment anyway. Right, And but, it's definitely been two different but worlds. But there's millions of dollars involved in this in the same way that there's millions of dollars in the evil of music business, as right. you're saying. And I just think that it's like, if the record company bosses don't take the money, then the internet people are going to take somebody's going to profit off this and if it's not the artist then you're profiting illegally it's bulletproof i mean it, all right are it's you it's bulletproof meaning what meaning that they're arguing I mean, who can argue with that and listen to it now and go man you were right about well there was no even at the time there was no good argument for the the Na pro napster side yeah you literally saying and they, some were, and they weren't fighting the future yeah they were, i mean people don't realize metallica's been selling their live shows for like pennies on their website yeah. for years now there's no worse argument than you have too much money, so you should give me your art for free. That's yeah. just—it's just so. If you believe that, it's you're so far up fucking your own ass. Like, fucking the guy who invented hot pockets, who lives on Pelican Hill in Newport Coast, has the biggest house there. Yeah. He doesn't just say, you know what, I'm gonna start making hot pockets for everybody for free now, just because I have so much money. Yeah. He he invent he he does something that's that's that people deem worthy like moms yeah. want to make something quick and give it to their kids yeah. the guys spend time giving us their art they don't have to go in the studio they don't have to do these things they do it because they love it but at the same time if you want to experience that they should be compensated for it there's really no argument that Lars, you have too much money you know <laughs> or or this artist has too much money it just doesn't doesn't fly in the real world i get how people want to get you know all i get some people have more than others but it doesn't right, mean that you I don't you think stop. that's what this argument yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. Especially uh, in that it's a lot of arguments that don't get extrapolated out of the things that like yeah. we were saying, you know, the, the entitlement. No one expects free hot pockets. And by the way, you know, look at look at where we're at now in terms of the fan wants the big budget music video still. They want the you know, they want all these things that used to happen and the labels just can't simply can't afford it. You know, I remember when we did the backcountry video, it was like a half million dollars. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it was crazy how much we spent on that. Now you get a budget and we're one of the, the bigger bands of the genre and we get 50, 60 grand. 
go make yeah. a fucking video. And then yeah. all the kids go, why isn't this as good as all your old videos? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, the directors want money and they go to do other things. They're not going to do a fucking yeah. music video. You think they're going to waste three days of their life for 60 grand. They're not going to see any of it because it goes to all the, the cast and the guys working on the thing. Yeah. Fred Durst sits there and says, you know, I, you know, believe that Napster is a great company and, you know, we want to go against what the record companies do. Who paid for your Nookie video? Who spent $600,000 so you could have a video on MTV that made you sell 8 million? You didn't pay for it yourself. If Fred somebody Durst else died tomorrow, it'd be somebody else there. And then, yeah, every once in a while you'll get some really cool original idea. And then people can point to that and go, well, why can't you do something that's really interesting and original like that? It's like, those come out every once in a blue moon. Yeah. And those directors go on to they direct go on to commercials do other shit. and movies and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I mean what was it? Mark Webb was Mark Webb, who did the Spider-Man movie. He was going to do a video for us summer. during that time, I remember. And, and it's like, he's doing fucking feature films now. He's yeah. not going to sit there and yeah. dabble in a $30,000 fucking yeah. performance used, you, you video. Yeah, Mark Webb did a hate breed and AFI and all these things. Like my cam. And, but after 500 Days of Summer, then he's doing Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And that's just kind of, you don't want to... That's the reality. Of those people from yeah. making a living and doing their art. Well, it, it just it just gets you know it goes further and further down the chain where yeah. the money really it really and affects. That backcountry video that's like a micro budget horror film now. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like totally. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, like Get Out is like two backcountries. <laughs> totally right. Yeah, I, I just think that people don't realize how far it affects everything. It affects. It might be the reason why you get so much electronic drum on records. People don't have time to go to a good the money to go to a good drum room, get a good drum sound, waste three days just getting tones, yeah. and then have a good enough producer there and a mixer that can put something together that's real. Instead, they yeah. go into a place like we're in right now, throw on the fucking the drums, play it through a couple times, fucking trigger it all, mm -hmm. put it in there because they don't have the money, they don't have the funds, and like, I mean, it it's hard to explain that to people. Like, there's a big yeah. difference in what music was and is now, and a lot of it has to do. And the economy of, of how many people behind, it's not just about, oh, the rich rock star. No. All the people who work within the industry who do so many different things, whether it's a publicist or whatever. You know, producers, a lot of kids don't understand, used to make a lot of their income from royalties. Oh, yeah. You give the producer a couple points on your record. But now, you know, when you're negotiating a producer deal... There is no royalties. Who cares? But yeah. yeah, you could give me every royalty point out yeah. there. You're it's never going to recruit. Yeah. Never pay me. Yeah, yeah so totally. I need to get paid to make your record. And then, yeah, now a lot of these studios even... You know, I was uh, negotiating recently with a very famous studio that originally quoted me almost $2,000 a day. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking, like, no one's paying you that. Yeah. That's like, you know, and... Ended up getting in there for seven hundred. Yeah, how uh, about five hundred? <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I mean, that's what it used to cost, right? I mean, when we were doing City Field, it was like the drum room was like twenty eight hundred a day, right? And then now, now their starting price is two. You know, maybe yeah. you get in there for, you know, seven hundred. Yeah, it's just but everybody's losing. A lot of the good studios we used to work at are gone. You know, they can't. There's not enough bands that are making enough money, or the labels can't put that money into the bands, yeah. and so they go and they. They use a bunch of fake drum sounds and they're playing through fake guitar amps and they're doing it as quick as possible. Yeah. We don't have time for, you know, to do vocals all day. So get it as close as possible. We'll auto-tune it all. A lot of bands, when they send their record off to a mixer, they don't understand that reamping is actually recording. You know, oh, when they're no. just like, well, here's our files, know. you know, and the I mixer's know. going like, I'm, I'm like... Like, this sounds record. horrible. We're going to, yeah, we're going to yeah. reamp re it all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And it all just ends up the same sounds and... Oh, yeah. Because they, they have what they're used to in there. Yeah. So they just plug you right into 
what the sound that they like to mix. And there you go. That's why all the records sound the same. Well, I do think that continuing to, to follow your instincts and be bold, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody just the other day, uh, literally just a couple days ago. You know, you were the first rock band to try that Beyonce, you know, this, this stuff that's working in the pop world, just like, surprise, here's an album. Yeah. And I feel like had that been this massive success, everyone would be patting you on the back about how brave and courageous that was yeah. and, and trailblazing. And instead it was kind of, you know, it was a little, it was hard. It's, it's you know? continuing to be hard. And and as you're seeing, you know, we were just talking about Metallica, the biggest metal band there is, is having to grind tooth and nail to get the word out that they have an album. Yeah. You know, and um, it's, yeah. Yeah, I feel, it's hard. I feel it's hard and I feel, you know, and definitely not complaining because all, you know, when you, when you talk candidly about things like this, it, 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 people can take it one or two ways. Either they're getting information from the horse's mouth or it's complaining. Not complaining, but I think a lot of the way the infrastructure is set up in the rock scene has made it even harder because we've been, we've been stonewalled by a lot of publications or radio stations that don't, can't wrap their head around why we would do that. And they can't grasp being involved in this record. Like, We've had people come to us and tell us that they didn't have any leeway. We didn't let them in on the secret. There's no point of doing any. We have no respect for print magazine. So we don't want to work with you on this record. We've had radio stations say, why would you give us an eight and a half single, eight minute single, no leeway to build the record. This should have been the first single, but it's too late now. Okay. Well, but, but you're sitting there going like, okay, like, we're doing everything we can to do something different. Yeah. But it's like, nope, it has to be the old way. Yeah, and to respect the art of it, you know, to do a concert record in 2017. There just is no respect of it. It's amazing. Which it just, then it makes us... Because in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, Operation Mindcrime, The Wall, but, you know, it's like, who's doing that right now? I know. And, and you know, it's it's, it's been a grind. Let's put it that way. It's been, it's been interesting to see who's been opposed to it and who doesn't want something like this to work yeah for whatever reason and we, why and what their own investment is yeah in that. and we yeah. and we and the reality is we it's all going this way anyways like who has a cd player in their house still who most cars don't even come with one anymore it's a whole new way of, of looking at things so i don't know why i bought a car about a year and a half ago and i literally just very recently the day that demon hunter record came out i have the ritual of like i'm gonna drive to best buy buy my band's record yeah that day was the day that I figured out whether or not I had a CD player in the yeah. car that I've been driving for a year. Yeah. It's, it's and, a, I'm, and I'm of a generation that, you know, I'm not a millennial. So, yeah. you know, and I'm, I don't listen to CDs, you know? Yeah. So, so it's been, it's, it's a very strange time. And yeah. I think that, you know, in 10 years, we'll really know how much it affected the record. Because the reality is things could spark or they could not. And you can Well, up, I think Avenge has... has has been very blessed in the, the corner of everything that you've carved out for yourselves. You're a band with a catalog and a band where your fans care about records. Yeah. You know, they want, they want to have the whole catalog. They want to get through a record from start to finish. They care about how it's sequenced. Yeah. I think you have those type of fans who yeah. are just like, Oh, I want this song or, or this is the, you know, this is the one record I care about and the rest of it I don't care about. Yeah. I think that they follow you. And I think, Honestly, uh, for the stage, I think it's just a matter of much like hardwired on a different scale of just getting to all of them and letting them know that it's there. Totally. You know? And another problem that we've had is that we, we've now we've only played one show on this cycle in America. 
Wow. So it's been out six months, and we just haven't been to the people. So well, you're about to be. We're about big, to be. Big, big way. And so we'll see what happens. So that's that's where it all comes down to. It. Yeah. We'll see in a few years where, where this yeah. thing ends up. But it's been an interesting one because we've never done that before. We've always started the tour right when the record's out. It's slamming at the radio. Right now we have issues with radio where, you know, goddamn is the single. And, and there's people that are literally offended by the, the, the phrase goddamn. I mean, these are the same people that complain that rock and roll is not dangerous. And then you give them a song like Goddamn and they go, well, we can't play that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I don't get it. What, what kind of yeah. dangerous do you want? Do you want to write on a piece of paper what dangerous you want and then we can go put that into the machine and, and do it for you? Yeah. Like, I don't get it. Like, just because you don't feel comfortable saying the word that you're not going to put it on the radio. And it's yeah. very strange. It's like, it's perplexing to us, but it also, you know, there's also a lot of fans that just love that about it. You know, they yeah. love. and But I think we, we maybe, I think one thing we did was we miscalculated a little bit. We... We were listening too much to, we felt that everything was online. Like we felt that we could get to everybody by doing this and being like having a huge presence online. And I think one thing that was a big reality check to us was that there's a lot of casual fans that hear it on their local radio station in Alabama or wherever they're at. And they like to drive to Best Buy and get the CD, even though it's an hour and a half away. Mm -hmm. And those kids were just confused because you, because daily you still see people saying, you have a new record, you have a new record, you have a new record. And that's, that's where we kind of just, I think, miscalculated. Which is also, I think, a glass half full thing to realize that there are people covering it. You know, oh, yeah. It's like there's 5,000 people a week buying the Black Album. Totally. You know, so how? I don't, that's, yeah. yeah. How, that, have you, that's like how have you positive. not got this record? Yeah. 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 I actually think that's positive in, in a certain sense. So, yeah. And I, I would also, and I get the sense from other interviews I've seen with you and even sitting here with you now, there's also something to be said for keeping your own creative juices going and trying all this stuff. Oh, totally. And doing things this way and making your single called Goddamn and giving, you know, all that, like, yeah. if it's just going to be a factory assembly line where you're going to do everything the exact same way in every aspect of yeah. of your album release and touring cycle. Yeah. And it's, no, and I, and I love that we went down the artificial intelligence route. It's a very yeah. existential record and it's things that people might not be ready for right now, but someday they'll come back to it. Yeah, you know, well, some things we're all I mean, going to be dealing impressive. with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and so I, it's my favorite record we've ever done. I love it. I just, I know it will take some people a lot of time to get into it because it's just a bigger record. It's longer. Not in 2017, you just don't know if rock listeners are into that sort of thing at this point. Well, and you know, in terms of, <clears throat> of bringing danger back to rock and roll, I think one of the most dangerous things for a rock band to do, and one of the most exciting things for a rock band to do is to ask something of their audience, to yeah. challenge their audience. And totally. And say, like, okay, here, come on this adventure with us. It's very um, rewarding if you go on the adventure. Yes. Yeah. And for somebody like Axel that, you know, went so far into a state of, of excess that he, he couldn't come back for a while, still, I mean, I love the Use Your Illusion albums. They're two of my favorite I, records I, of all I, time. Yeah, I love that there's a song like Coma that's just, you know. <laughs> or Estranged. Or, or, or Estranged, yeah. yeah. Or the video for Estranged yeah. with animatronic dolphins and all that. You know, it's like... Well, those those two records like shape my whole musical perspective. Those are two of my favorite records of all time. They could be my favorite records of all time. It's just I love Dustin Bones. There's so much it, experimentation, yeah. so many different flavors in there. Yeah, and it, they don't give a fuck. It's yeah. just it's awesome. Yeah, and clearly there there were restraints. They didn't allow themselves to be constrained from no. trying everything. It was everything. awesome. Yeah, yeah, that that was a golden age yeah. back then. Well, I love and greatly appreciate that you're 
holding court for that and fighting. Yeah. That, well, know? that's not going to change. Like I said, you just have to be honest. You have to tell the truth. Yeah. That's all you can do as an artist. And that's why I always respond to an art. I love, yeah. I love hearing you say that early, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, because that's why I always tell people. I always respond to, as a consumer of art or whatever you want to call it, a point of view. Yeah. I just want to feel like there's a point of view. And it doesn't have to be political or religious or, you know, but just an artistic point of view that somebody has something to say and that it's true. Yeah, like they wrote a record for a reason. Yeah. Like, I have something to say, so we yeah. wrote a record. I, I always say this about the new metal thing. Like, when you watched Korn, especially in the early days, but even now, when you watched Korn in the early days and you saw Jonathan Davis on stage, yeah. you're like, that guy's working something out. Yeah. You know, he's up there because he has to be. Like, he yeah. has no other choice. He's yeah. going to die or kill somebody if he's doing this. Yeah. And then you see these bands that imitate it, yeah. you know, and, and it feels like an imitation because it's not true, yeah. you know, and yeah, that, that's all that, that's all that ever matters to me, you know. Me I can, too. I can listen to Dark Throne and respond to how much, you know, Fenris <laughs> means yeah. what he's doing. No, totally. And then I can turn around and listen to a Christian metal band or, you know, a rap yeah. record or whatever and feel that same passion. Or like for me, know? like Bad Religion and No Effects, they've, they've stood above all the other punk bands because... Fat Mike and Greg Graffin, I mean, they, they completely different the worlds. They walk yeah. the walk and they are what they are. And it's, yeah. it's awesome. You know? Yeah. I, I yeah, that's, I really, I relate to the same shit. It's just, but that's what I look for in music. And I think there's a lot of people that still do. Yeah. It's just, uh, well, like, you know, Oasis came up earlier and I think that's probably one of the things that Lars responded to about them as well is just the authenticity, yep. you know, and that's a, a rock band writing rock songs, you know, pure, plain and simple. But those were people that, Good and bad, every decision they made and everything you saw them do in public, they were real. Yeah. You know. And there's a lot of pop artists that do it really well, too. I mean, look at hip-hop right now. Yeah. I mean, Kendrick Lamar. Yes. He's got some... And even Kanye, to me. Yeah. It just, I, I love Kanye West. I think everything he does is just... He might be psycho, but you see the psycho. It comes out, yeah. and it's crazy. It's like his entire life is or like, performance art. like Daft Punk, to me. Like, brilliant. <laughs> They're just brilliant. They, they can say so much with a melody and very few words. And, yeah. and everything they write is obviously from an emotional spot. And to me, I, re I respond to that. I don't care what kind of music it is. I just respond to it because it's like, dude, these guys mean what they're doing. And yeah. everything they put out is very high quality. It's not yeah. trying to chase some trend. They are the trend. Yeah. They, they, they create it themselves. And I love that. I love that about pop music. And I wish we had a little bit of that in rock. I wish we had some people taking big chances. I mean, why, why, why isn't there like a band like Faith No More right now? Like a, yeah. or like a Mr. Bungle or something just crazy off the wall. Yeah, you know? the fact that Mr. Bungle was on a major label. This is just like that's crazy. Like, yeah, I mean, amazing. yeah, I mean, they had Patton with Faith No More, but it was like, it was like shit, dude. Those those bands were taking big chances, and they were, and they're just fucking weird guys. Yeah, and it comes out in their music. Yeah, I love that, and I, mean, I love some of these moments, and I think that this is somewhere where Avenged ha has and will continue to take some of these same stands. But there's so many moments that were important for me as a kid where a band kind of cut through the noise of what was going on yeah. in a way that, that very much was against the grain of conventional wisdom of how a band should behave. Depeche Mode, I was just listening to Dave Cahan was on the Nerdist podcast recently. And you don't think about it now because you just think about them in terms of Depeche Mode. But when Enjoy the Silence, which was like their first big hit in America, like really big breakthrough hit, Nothing else on the radio sounded like that. Yeah. Like, they didn't make that song going, like, here's our radio single for America. Yep. You know, it was very much just truthful about what they wanted to yeah. do and who they were. And they were, he talks about how they were, uh, like, the beginning of Blasphemous Rumors is literally 
they took all these pots and pans from the kitchen in the studio and threw them down the stairs and recorded the sound of the pots and pans going down the stairs, yes. looped it, and then it becomes blasphemous rumors. And it's like, you know, they were no one in their right mind would be like throw pots and pans down the stairs yeah. and you will be a massive band one day yeah you know no, just... you have to have that think about when chop suey came out <laughs> yeah i mean when that yeah. came out on k-rock it was like what the fuck is this that yeah. wasn't trying to be anything but system of a down yeah it was badass i think we did that slightly with backcountry when it came out 100%. it was like what is this and now we continue to try to do it but now everyone's changed that formula and it's right. hard to get them back out of it it's like we're a band that always changes on every record and it's been hard for radio to keep up with that because they yeah. want old Avenged Sevenfold because it's tried yeah. and true. But it's like, dude, remember when we came on the scene, we were cutting through Nickelback and the bands that were radio rock bands, Stained, the stuff that was on yep. the radio at the time. We came out with six-minute song with solos. <laughs> like it had yeah. no, it had no aspirations. Thompson overtones. Yeah, we had no yeah. aspirations to be on the radio. And yeah. I think if you keep that mindset. The problem is then everything forms to being like that mm -hmm. and then you give them something new and they go, well, why can't you do more like that? It's like, because that's not... Yeah. But then if you just do the same thing, everyone goes, why did you just do the same thing again? Oh, yeah. I don't even know if you could. I mean, a band like us, I don't think we could do the same thing. I mean, that's what people don't understand about time, place, and circumstance. Is I, you know, in this whole conversation about authenticity and bringing everything back to Metallica as I often do, one of the big misconceptions I think about them in the load reload era it's like, oh, they cut their hair and they wore makeup and they're wearing expensive clothes and they're putting this fancy art piece as their album cover or whatever. And it's like, they're being true to who they were in the 90s. Yep. That's who they were, yep. you know? And they were, and yeah, they had, they were listening to Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and they were going back to Thin Lizzy and the Led Zeppelin and all this stuff. And totally. that came out in their music. And, yep. you know, I remember this interview where Lars said, and he's since gone back on it, but where he said, like, he would never wear blue jeans again. And it's like, well, that's who he was, right? You know, in that moment, yep. like, he's just being true to himself, you know? know. And, and, people, and everyone wanted Master Puppets again. And the thing about Metallica that I think is so fascinating and, and a nice guidepost for a band like Avenged and for any rock band, they dealt with that every step of the way. Yeah. When Ride the Lightning came out, you know, when I was in elementary school and I had no idea who Metallica was yet, their fans called them sellouts. Yeah. Because it wasn't fast and pissed off like Kill Em All. It had a ballad on it. What? Yeah. Ballad. You know, and then yeah. just, they'd said for years that they would never make a music video. And then when they made the video for one, people were like, Phew. At least they're sm at least they're smart enough to do what they want to do at that point. Yes. They didn't yeah. have to stick to it like, oh, some fans are going to be pissed off. Who cares? Yeah, and then and they never done that. And, and by the time they've kind of come full circle and made records like Death Magnetic and Hardwired, you know, we were talking about the loudness wars earlier and Death yeah. Magnetic was a big part of that conversation. The, the scale tipped on that one. And, uh, yeah, and I, uh, you know, Again, just being a super nerd, the Guitar Hero master of that record better, is huh? much more listenable. Yeah. That's the one I actually go to. But I, I look at fandom in its best light. It's like sports, where you love your team, but you might hate the coach right now. Yeah. Or you might not like the quarterback right now. Or you might covet the, like, oh, the Chicago Bears in 1984. That was the Chicago Bears. That, yeah. You know, and I, I think that... Loving a band is, is when you truly love a band, it's much the same way. So. I, for me, it always has been. And it's funny because you'll every once in a while I see those comments you do one thing and they're like, I'm done with this band for life. You know, like yeah. it's like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, I'm, I'm that way with the Lakers, you know, like when well, we had root, the. You root for your team. Yeah. If I was at the Grammys when the when Petfield's mic wasn't working. I was yeah. sitting there at, at watching it with a, a friend of mine and, we're, you know, it's like we're. It's like fuck. Yeah, it was like our, our team. Because he wanted to go kick out. Yeah, he yeah. wanted to go kick out. Yeah. yeah. 
No, I lo- that's it's true, man. I, that's that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, because when they when they went on stage, I was like, yeah, I want them to kill this thing. Yeah. You know, even when ACDC played, you know, was it last or two years ago or whatever? I was like, fuck, I want Rock to kick kick the shit out of everyone. You yeah. Know? You're, yeah. Just root, you're rooting for him. Yeah. 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 It's, 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 it's cool. Because we don't get very many opportunities. No. Uh, and so when, 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 when there's an opportunity to kind of poke through the curtain like yeah. have a sharp stick, yeah. you know, it's like we're all holding the sharp stick together. Really yeah, I know, to, right? You know. Yeah, that's the good thing about rock. The one thing you can say about metal, and especially metal, more than rock, is that the fans are uh, pretty hardcore and loyal for life. I mean, once you're a metalhead, you're, you ain't switching over. You, you yeah. Yeah. You're not uh, switching teams at any time soon. Yeah, and you can complain and you can nitpick, but you're always also going to come back around. Yeah, and that's always you know, you're still going to the Iron Maiden show when they come through. Yes, <laughs> exactly, and, and and that's a great example of a band that you know a couple tours ago, a few few years ago, a lot of fans were complaining that they came and did a, a tour that was like very heavily drawn from the current record. Yeah, they always do that, yeah. and it's like, but yeah, I mean. Okay, but they just did a Seventh Son tour, and they just did yeah. a, you know, it's like they've, they do a tour for everybody at some point. Just be a Well, that's a band that's really, uh, they're actually a better model than Metallica in some ways, because no one's going to make a fucking Black Album again. Like Right, and everyone keeps trying, and yeah. that's the thing that... Well, no one's going to sell that much no matter what they do. Yeah. And it's so, it was like a and worldwide phenomenon. How many times phenomenon. you a band and say, like, well, this is, we're, we're going to go for, like, the Black Album? Well, it's, it's and it, the, the, the industry isn't set up in a way where you can sell that many records anyways. So they have like this thing where so many people know the world, the name of Metallica because of that record. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, 16, 17 million records later, you're going to have that. Maiden's never had that. They've had consistently great records that have sold a good fair amount, but they've toured a lot and they have a loyal mm-hmm. fan base and they can go do as big of numbers as Metallica anywhere except the States. And so that's, that's a band where you, they've had ups and downs. I mean, there was times when I went and saw Maiden in the late 90s where... They were playing like Glen Helen or whatever it's called now, yeah. fucking out there. Yeah. And it was like half empty. Yeah. And now they're coming back in 2017 and they're doing two nights at the forum and they're coming back again. I mean, I they saw come... them in Chicago right when Bruce Dickinson was back in the band. And you could tell that uh, my perception of it anyway was that the venue had been booked based on Blaze Bailey era numbers. Yeah. You know, and then the show ended up being sold out. But it was like, it was in a theater in Chicago. Yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. an arena. But they grinded it out yep. and they, they kind of rode the waves. And it uh, became, you know, and they're such they're such a class act too. I mean, yeah. you know, Bruce came back and he sang songs from those records that he wasn't on. Yeah, and it's like ah, he made them awesome, yeah. uh, but it's like you know that's just classy. Like, yeah, that's just that's when you're putting everything aside and just going. It's a good. Through. It's a good. It's a good business model, I guess. Yeah. Or Adrian and, Smith comes back in the band and they don't fire again. I know. You know, they're awesome. like, let's have three guitar players. It's awesome. Yeah. 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 We're not gonna kick him out just because you're back, but we want you back. Guess they can afford it, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, dude, I can talk about all this stuff with you forever. I won't keep you here forever. Let's talk a little bit while I got you here about the rest of the year and what it looks like for you guys because you're about to go on tour with Metallica. Yeah. We're going to be releasing a... We have some extra songs that we talked about at the beginning of the record, but we've been trying to figure out a way that would be the smartest way to release them, not just streaming numbers, you know, because we've looked at... As much as we don't understand the analytics of the rock listener and streaming... Mm -hmm. um, we were kind of trying to figure out the best way to get these new tracks to people. You know, for people that don't don't know, I mean, if you look at, like, the last Metallica release, and they do, like, 3 million streams a week, and you look like, like Kendrick Lam- or Lamar, yeah. it's just 300 million. 
streams in a week. Even when you look at the charts, because you have the Billboard 200, which has all those metrics, yeah. and then you have the current albums, and then you have the, yeah, and all those charts are different. Dude, it's just staggering. It's, it's just staggering yeah. how every other genre streams yeah. heavily. Yeah. And the rock genre the doesn't. Weekend, Drake, all that. And, and the yeah. rock band go, well, we like to buy records, but they're not really buying that many records either. Right. So it's it's a really interesting, it's a, it's a puzzle. And you're trying to figure out how do you get music to the casual listener as well as the hardcore fan in the best way possible. And the numbers are really hard to really decipher, you know, because if you just look at the other genres, it's just literally staggering. Those numbers are insane. Like, it'd be really hard for rock bands to get a number one record based on that metric alone. Yeah. That, you know, if you're a country artist, you're going to have a bump of 80,000 records just from streaming in a week, you know, on your first week. And that's hard to compete with as a rock artist, especially when CDs are so hard to come by now. If you go to Best Buy, that's there's the barely I mean, anything there. They've, they've diminished the amount of retail space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For CDs. I went in to buy a CD player for my son because he can't read yet, you know, because he can't use it on his phone, so he needs a CD player. And they had one CD player to sell at Best Buy, and they had about 30 spots for CDs, and there was about four CDs in those spots. Yeah. It was brutal. Yeah. It's like one little row. So it's harder to buy CDs. If you put it out streaming only, the rock fans just clearly aren't listening. Mm -hmm. You know, we see the numbers, you see the numbers. So it's really hard to figure out how we're going to release these things, but we're going to do that. And we're going to do that around the Metallica tour because that's going to be our first tour yeah. um, on the new record, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. By the time we're done with that tour, the record will have been out for a year. and We've only we've only played 30 shows. And that's wild. So it's weird. It's So we are so we have a long thing ahead of us. We're going to come back in 2018. We're going to do, you know, we want to do the Forum, do Madison Square Garden, do some big plays. And then we're going to split that up with major cities and book something for the summer of 2018. Want to get a really cool support package and make something really cool since there won't be a mayhem or an uproar. Yeah, I was going to say, almost like a mini festival kind of. Something, but not with all the bands. Like, I want to do, like, five bands that everyone wants to see. Not 30 bands that people are kind of, like, whatever about. Yeah. You know, like, bunch just A bunch of politics and favors and violence. Yeah, and just two or five bands that everyone wants to see. Make yeah. it, you know, people obviously like going out and doing the, you know, buy four tickets for 20 bucks a piece out in the lawn, and sit there, smoke your weed, drink your drinks, and chill out at a rock festival. Yeah. We want to kind of create that in a way that doesn't have you sitting there all day like you said like it's five bands you everyone wants to see you know yeah. do some some proggier stuff with more of the radio stuff and get it all together like i'd love to see like a like and if i say this people think this can happen we haven't even talked right. to them but i'd love to see like a gojir a mastodon five finger avenged like something that's got everything you yeah. know like we're just in or like a shine down like a just yeah. the spectrum of a little bit of proggier stuff True metal and then some of the, uh, the heavy rock stuff. So I'd love to do something like that. And then we have the rest of the world we have to hit up. You know, we've, we have to go to Eastern Europe. We've got all the festivals in 2018. So it's, yeah, we got a lot of stuff ahead of us. But right now we got to just focus on, you know, Metallica, our one hour set, go out there and figure <laughs> and it out. How do, you, uh, how do you put that set together? Given how much, and this is, this is a challenge for bands whenever they get several records deep, because you have songs that, People are going to be straight up angry if they don't hear mm -hmm. them every show. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody's got their free bird, their angel of death, their inner yep. sandman, yep. um, their backcountry. How do you, yeah, what, what are the challenges involved and how do you guys come to grips with making that hour long set that's going to be? The well, because our set? songs are so long, it's really hard because there's, <laughs> there's also that. Yeah. yeah, there's like, a, I mean, we have to play Nightmare, have to play Hill mm -hmm. of the King, have to play Backcountry. Mm -hmm. Holy Confessions is hard to drop. We always enjoy Buried Alive. And then Afterlife is our biggest song 
in terms of streaming and YouTube mm-hmm. or and, and that's why and that's always surprising sometimes, right? When you yeah. see like, oh, I didn't realize that that song was yeah, and then and then we have to play the stage because it's on the new record, and then <laughs> then we're gonna play Goddamn because our new much single. Like an hour already. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it's like yeah. the hour. It's like you really can't leave out any of that. And yeah. you can get cute with it and be like, oh, we're going to go play deep cuts in front of 60,000 people and 40,000 don't even know us. Yeah. You know, and that's just a bad idea because yeah. you know, we were thinking about doing something like that, but that's just shooting yourself in the foot. You don't go in front of that many people that are casual rock fans. They're obviously casual rock fans because that many people aren't showing up to any other band's shows. Yeah. They're showing up to the Metallica show because yeah. they listen to rock. They're, you know, they, they've heard some stuff on the radio. Go out there and slam them with that, and hopefully you open up their their palette to maybe checking out an Avenged record. So yeah, the, the idea. idea is to get some crowd response with some bigger songs and go out there and then come back in 2018 and do the the deeper stuff. That you know more stuff from the stage, some deeper stuff off of Hail of the King, and some deep stuff from City of Evil era. Nice. So yeah, it's it's a it's always a, a jigsaw puzzle. Never everyone's never going to be happy. So well, even Metallica when they did the Global Citizen uh, Festival in Central Park a year or two ago. And that was with all these huge pop artists. They came out and did like five or six songs, all hits, all anthems. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. not gonna come out and like, uh, yeah, no, Leper Messiah all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They're not gonna play the Outlaw Torn. No, you know, like, <laughs> no, or Frantic. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Here's our acoustic version of All Within My Hands. There'd be like a hundred people that were really stoked on it, and like online, and then everyone else would be like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where's yeah. Inner Sam? Isn't it the Inner Sandman band? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah, man. Well, dude, uh, thanks for having me over here. Yeah, no worries, man. Um, making this happen. Thanks for doing huge, it, man. Huge. Appreciate it. Thanks again to M Shadows of Avenge Sevenfold. To check out everything that's going on with the band, head over to AvengeSevenfold.com. Some of the stuff we spoke about there is actually already happening. They've put out the first of the songs that are part of this now evolving version of the stage. In their new section, they've got a lot of updates about the current tour, photos. They post links to everywhere that these guys are doing interviews. I saw there's an interview with Zachy Vengeance uh, from Loudwire that they just posted recently. There's a Billboard interview with M Shadows. So definitely go Avenge7fold.com and check out everything they have going on. This has been Speak and Destroy, Episode 1. I have been Ryan J. Downey. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out Speak and Destroy underscore on Twitter. Speak and Destroy on Instagram, popcurse.com, popcurse on Instagram, popcurse on Twitter. And you can find me at Ryan Downey on Twitter, D-O-W-N-E-Y, and at Superhero HQ on Instagram.